first of all, happy Mother's Day. I have to tell you just a bit of a confession. I never remember when Mother's Day is, and same thing with Father's Day. Basically, for me, in following the calendar involves working through the missal that we have for Mass, and it's not in there. I can tell you when St. Athanasius' feast day is, it's May the 2nd, but I can't remember when Mother's Day is, hence... We have confirmation practice today at three. So mothers of confirmandi, it's my fault. I apologize. Um, But hey, it's a wonderful way to celebrate the afternoon together to get ready for the sacrament. And then, you know, tomorrow your children will be confirmed. It's going to be great. But it is totally my fault. Uh, But Mother's Day, it's such a beautiful, providential, good gift from God that it also falls this year on Good Shepherd Sunday. And so the fourth Sunday of Easter, we always kind of call it traditionally Good Shepherd Sunday because we always read from the 10th chapter of the Gospel of John. And the 10th chapter, in the midst of it, he gives these images of him being the shepherd. And it falls right in between the whole 9th chapter where he's curing the man born blind and then the 11th chapter where he's raising Lazarus. Things are really heating up in the public ministry of Jesus. And as he's saying these things, he's saying them to the chief priests and the scribes. And I know it sounds nice, like I'm the good shepherd. Like, oh, it's a a nice analogy. It's a nice thing to say. It's actually almost like fighting words and him really telling them, this is who I am. Because if you go back to Ezekiel, you go back to the Psalms, he's letting them know that, as he says today, the Father and I are one, that he is God. Because in Ezekiel, there's a lot of complaining about how the shepherds that God has set over his people, you know, the chief priests, scribes, all these ones, they keep doing it for their own advantage. They're taking advantage of the sheep. And God says, I myself will shepherd them. And here is Jesus calling himself the good shepherd. So it's, it's, it's a strong image. And the reason why I say it's a beautiful thing and very providential, that today is also Mother's Day. Because I think mothers, in so many ways, exemplify the beauty and the power of the Good Shepherd. And what do I mean by that? You think about one of the most beautiful images of safety, so to speak. It's, a, it's an infant in his mother's arms. You know, there is no better place, nowhere where you would feel more secure than the arms of your mother, right? But it's not mere safety. I mean, it's not the safest place in the world for the baby. I mean, probably the safest place would be what? Like a stainless steel container that is also sterilized where, you know, no germs can attack. Okay, yeah, that's safe. But we have not been made for mere safety, right? We desire something deeper. And a mother is able to provide that safety for her child in a gentle and yet strong way. And we need them both, right? We need them both and fully there and fully alive. And the Good Shepherd gives that to us as well. And I'd say another way that I think Mother's Day is such a good example of the beauty of the Good Shepherd is that the child doesn't always know what his mom is up to. She knows kind of the plan, where she's going with this. But to the child's perspective, He doesn't understand why she does what she does all the time, but she does it out of love for him. And I'm sorry, I like using personal examples. I think they're the easiest. And I think this is one I've told you about before. But I had this memory from my childhood when we still lived in Decatur, Illinois, 
we were allowed to ride our bikes home for lunch and then come back in the afternoon. It's like speaking to a different age, you know? It's like now that it just doesn't seem like that happens anymore. But I got to go home for lunch as a first grader, right? And I remember, like, this is the thing. It's like an out-of-body experience. I think I've been told the story so many times that I remember it from, like, outside of myself. I wouldn't want to go back to school, right? I'd come home. I was with my mom. We're having lunch. I'm with my siblings. Great. And I would just cry and not want to go back. And she would, you know, I'd put me on my bike in the garage, and she would go and close the door, and I would sit there and just, like, cry, I guess. And she, of course, she didn't, like, completely close the door. She's looking at me, but I don't know this. And I'm just thinking she's so cruel, you know, like, oh, I just don't want to go back. But I had to go back, you know? I couldn't just stay home and be with her like that forever. And just to kind of give the story away, I did go back. I eventually graduated from grade school, and uh, here I am now. Uh, But, you know, it's like, it's one of those things, like, I didn't understand it. I don't know why she's doing this. She's because she loved me. She had to be strong here, but she was gentle enough, you know, and not just, like, kick me out of the house, never come home again. No, it's holding those two together. And Jesus Christ, our good shepherd, knows how to hold together perfectly that gentleness and that strength. He also knows what he's up to even when we don't. And we get a big example of that in our readings for today. I mean, we're already now about halfway through the Easter season. I mean, the fourth Sunday of Easter, it's crazy how fast we go. And the first reading today from Acts of the Apostles, we've kind of skipped a lot, if I'm not mistaken. So I didn't get to preach last weekend since I was traveling. So I think we were in Acts chapter 5 And Peter and the apostles were on trial with the Sanhedrin, right? They've been doing amazing things. Good stuff is happening. Well, today we jumped all the way up to chapter 13. There's been a shift in the Acts of the Apostles. Early on, you got this like fledgling group of the apostles who have seen Jesus risen from the dead. He's there. He gives them the commission. He sends them out. They're doing amazing things. They're curing people even with just their shadow. They kind of run afoul of the, you know, the religious authorities, right? And they keep putting them on trial, but they can't stop them. And they're filling Jerusalem with everything. And it's so incredible what's happening with the 12 who had been with him during his public ministry. Now, eventually, persecution breaks out. And you have the martyrdom of the first martyr in the church, St. Stephen. And who's there consenting to the martyrdom of Stephen? stoning him to death is Saul, right? He's there as they lay their cloaks at his feet, consenting to the whole thing. Chapter 9, we hear that he's breathing murderous threats against the Christians, against the people who follow Jesus. He sets out to go arrest them and bring them back to Jerusalem in chains. And then what happens, right? Jesus meets him on the road and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I'll tell you, I remember in seminary, there was sort of like this definitive moment in the midst of a conference when one of our professors said, you know what is the greatest proof of the resurrection is St. Paul. Because at the end of the day, it's like, okay, we have all these different things, the people who are with him and all this. I mean, you can prove it and there's all sorts of wonderful ways to explain this and the tomb is empty and all these great things. But Paul, he makes absolutely no sense if Jesus is not risen from the dead. He, to the church, is public enemy number one. 
you know, as the church is still small. You've got worldly authority. You've got basically the religious authorities are sending him out. He's breathing murderous threats. He's ready to take them all down. He wants to stamp out this movement. And what happens? Jesus appears to him on the road, knocks him off his high horse. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He goes blind for three and a half days. And Jesus comes to Aeneas and tells him, I want you to go to Saul. I want you to lay your hands on him and baptize him. And Aeneas says, um, do you know what he's been doing? And Jesus says, yes, but he is a chosen instrument of mine. And he goes, and he does it, and he baptizes him. And then look, we fast forward to chapter 13. He is the one who's taking everything out to the people of God. So all of a sudden it goes from the guy who is persecuting them, who is dedicating his life to stamping them out, is now one of their greatest assets, one of their greatest spokesmen, the guy who is now the apostle to the Gentiles, working with Peter and the other 12. And now at this point in Acts the Apostles, we start to see this. And it's spreading out. What does that mean? The good shepherd is in charge. He knows what he's doing. Even though the day before Aeneas goes to lay his hands on him, he thinks he's got to watch out for Paul. And all of a sudden, he's with him. He's being told by Jesus, go and lay your hands on him. Baptize him. He's important to me. Now, I bring all these things up because... Jesus continues this on even to this very day. We don't always know what's coming next, but we do know that we have the good shepherd with us. Jesus Christ remains in all of this with us. We know Psalm 23, the, you know, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Where is he leading us through? The valley of the shadow of death. Okay, there are times I think to myself, why? Why don't you just take us out of this darn valley? You know, why is there so much evil? Would you just start kicking butt and taking names, please? You know, like, I want you to do this faster. But it's not the way that he works. He's gentle and strong all at the same time. Look at the incredible concluding line of the second reading today. For the lamb who is in the center of the throne, the lamb who is in the center of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to springs of life-giving water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. When you think about that, that gentle strength, the lamb will shepherd them. God humbles himself to become a lamb, a lamb who is gentle, who is strength shepherds his people. And what does he do in the midst of that shepherding? He wipes away every tear from their eyes. I love the police. I love the military. But the Messiah, our good shepherd, is not just a military leader. And we want something more than a military leader, right? Just like when I made that comment before about an infant. Wouldn't he be safer in a stainless steel container that is sterilized? Maybe, but we're not just made for safety. We're made to be loved, and he gives it to us perfectly. He has the ultimate strength, but the ultimate gentleness. He knows that we need our tears wiped away. And he goes to the ends of the earth. And remember where the ends of the earth are? Every human heart. He wants to go to every heart and wipe away those tears from our eyes. And there are new horizons opening up all the time for that. In the same way that Aeneas didn't necessarily see Saul's conversion coming, this week we got something big that happened, didn't necessarily see it coming. I mean, that leak of the Dobbs decision, right? And abortion is possibly going to be overturned, legally speaking, 
in our country. It's causing all sorts of chaos, all sorts of things happening. There's threats that masses are going to be interrupted all over the country today. Okay, we didn't see that one coming, but nevertheless, look at the way that the Good Shepherd handles things. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. I was born nine years after Roe v. Wade you know, became the law of the land. I haven't known a time when abortion wasn't the legal reality all around us. But all of a sudden, new horizons are opening up. And the way that Jesus handles things with this gentle strength is to go and wipe every tear from their eyes. I have seen tears wiped from the eyes in the confessional. Wounds that are there because of that horrible legal reality. Problems that have happened. And what does he want? He wants every one of those hearts to be with him. And my brothers and sisters in Christ, we know that he loves us. We have the great gentle strong one, the good shepherd in our midst, who exemplifies those beautiful motherly virtues of gentleness and strength, holds them together perfectly, and they're on offer for us all the time, given to us in the sacraments. On this day, we both celebrate our mothers, but celebrate the fact that we've got the good shepherd. Let's ask him for the grace to know that, yes, as we face the valley of the shadow of death all around us, to know that we need to fear no evil because he is with us. And then what I think is even more important right now, especially at this time in our history, where new things are happening, we've got to hand that on to people who do have tears in their eyes, that they may know that life wins, that the love of God is present, that yes, he is strong, that eventually his kingdom overcomes it all, but he's also gentle. He's not just a military leader who just kicks down doors and drags people out. No, our God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. We have that great treasure right here, and it's so important, especially right now, that we share that with so many people who have those tears in their eyes. Praise be Jesus Christ, now and forever.